culture to politics. Your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Wouldn't it be great, however, if this great nation had a great election going on? We'll be right at the beginning stages of with the uh, Iowa caucuses coming up in less than a month. The New Hampshire primary in just uh, a little bit more than a month, five days more than a month. It's uh, it's all happening right now. So what is it that to be wrong to give us the choices that most Americans do not relish in this election? Uh, we will get to that with Kevin Williamson coming up on the Michael Medved Show. But first up, uh, there is news about uh, the... Uh, sale of U.S. Steel. And it almost seems like a joke because U.S. Steel is one of those companies uh, that uh, the U.S. really grew into a world power because of. Uh, Today, Japan's Nippon Steel clinched uh, the deal to buy U.S. Steel for $14.9 billion in cash, prevailing in an auction for the 122-year-old iconic steelmaker over rivals including Cleveland Cliffs, uh, ArcelorMittal, and Nucor. I don't know about those rivals, but uh, the one thing is that uh, apparently with Nippon Steel, the job situation is expected at least to be secure for U.S. Steel. This is uh, John Fetterman. And, and John Fetterman, of course, is someone I never supported when he was running for Senate. But particularly on issues of foreign policy, on issues of Ukraine and uh, Israel, and uh, also the idea of uh, being a little bit uncomfortable about the uh, purchase of U.S. steel by a foreign company, even if it's by a U.S. ally like Japan and one of our closest allies. Uh, This is Senator Fetterman on the purchase of U.S. steel. I'm standing on the roof of my home right here in Braddock, Pennsylvania, right across the street from the Edgar Thompson family. And I just have to say it's absolutely outrageous that they have sold themselves to a foreign nation and a company can't do that. Steel is always about security as well, too. And I am committed to doing anything I can do from using my platform or my position in order to block this. And I'm going to fight for the steel workers and their union way of life here as well, too. And we cannot ever allow them to be screwed over or left behind. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, what you would expect or hope to hear from a senator from Pennsylvania who is looking out for his constituents. And speaking of uh, new, potential at least, members of Congress, you remember George Santos, of course, who could forget him. Well, the Republican nominee to replace George Santos, who still has to win a special election in February, but she's won the Republican nomination, is this remarkable lady, and she really is remarkable. I mean, her her life sounds like an inspiring adventure movie. Uh, but her name is Mazi Melissa Pilip, 
she is a mother of seven. She is a former paratrooper in uh, the Israeli army, in the IDF. Uh, she came to Israel when she was 12 years old from Ethiopia. Uh, she is part of the, that living rebuttal to the idea that uh, Israel is some kind of apartheid state. Uh, she was um, uh, asked about her campaign to be the new member of Congress for New York's 3rd District. She's already the member of a uh, the county council for Nassau County, New York. But uh, here is a Republican nominee for that congressional seat, the rather remarkable um, Mazi Malesa Pilip. Listen. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I was born in Ethiopia, grew up in Israel when I was 12 years old with the civil war that took place in 1991. United States, together with Israel, brought me and another 14,000 Ethiopian Jews to Israel, to a new home, to a new life, a new opportunity. I finished my school, I joined the IDF, did my, um, finished my degrees, and I met my husband in Israel, and then I moved to U.S. And the U.S. has been a great for me, good for me, and I want to serve the people, and uh, I want to be the voice for everyone, and I want to make sure my children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren, will have the same opportunity like me. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is um, uh, a, a very, very exciting prospect for the Republican Party and, and country. Uh, she would be the first uh, Ethiopian-Israeli uh, Republican member of Congress. But uh, George Santos, uh, he um, wants a redo. He says he is not ruling out a future run for office, but he would run as an independent. Uh, this is uh, the former congressman from the 3rd District of New York. Will you be running for office again? Not now, but in the future, I'm not ruling it out. Wow. As a Republican? As of now, yes. Okay. As of now? Yes. 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 But there could be where you pivot. To an independent. I think country needs more independent thinkers now. Like Jill Stein? No. That's, that's a Russian asset, according to Hillary Clinton. And I believe Hillary on that one. And Oh, wow. And what are you an asset of? Of no one. <laughs> I, and you could he said instead of saying I am not an asset, he basically said I'm not an asset of anyone. Uh, speaking of which, there's a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal by Eliza Collins under the heading "Voters Want Something Different." Is it RFK Jr.? Uh, overwhelming majorities of Americans view Biden and Trump negatively, and almost one in five Americans say they'd vote for a third-party candidate in 2024, according to a recent Wall Street Journal poll. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., an independent candidate, member of the most famous Democratic Party family in the history of the U.S., and purveyor of conspiracy theories, is the biggest beneficiary of that satisfaction. Many of the people who held their nose and voted for one of the two major party candidates in 2020 say they won't do so again. No Trump, no Biden. 
Even if he doesn't win, Kennedy's candidacy could scramble results in critical swing states. Both Biden and Trump would need to win the presidency. A crowd at uh, an RFK Jr. voter rally last month in Salt Lake City listens to the candidate speak. He's not a career politician. He's not Trump and he's not Biden, said Andrew Della Croce, uh, 45, a teacher from Atkinson, New Hampshire, another competitive general election state. Della Croce, like Boyce, uh, voted uh, for Biden in 2020, but won't vote for him again. Kennedy, who initially said he would run in the Democratic primary before switching gears, got the support of 8% of voters in the journal poll's uh, seven-way hypothetical ballot. Trump led the field with 37%, followed by Biden at 31%. What's interesting is they are saying that, uh, uh, that Robert Kennedy Jr. may actually draw more votes away from Trump than away from Biden, though he would draw millions of votes from both. Uh, So what is the deeper significance and what do we do about this messy election in which we have some 70 percent of Americans wish there was somebody else running besides uh, Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump? We'll get to the problem with this election and how to get so messed up with Kevin Williamson coming up. Medved Show. A pleasure to welcome back to the show Kevin Williamson, who spent some 15 years as a writer and editor at National Review. He is now national correspondent at the Dispatch and a writer in residence at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, he uh, has written a uh, a major article over the weekend for the Wall Street Journal under the headline election 2024 you asked for it america and just to give you uh, one summary of some of uh, mr williamson's views on the upcoming election uh, run old glory up the highest flagpole you can find but 2024 is going to be the least patriotism inspiring election in american history so far A reminder of what a depraved, decadent, backward, low-minded, primitive, superstitious, and morally corrupt people we have become. And then you say, don't blame the system, you gormless weasels. You chose this. Uh, Kevin, thanks, and uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, my next book's going to be a sequel to How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) But you make a very important point here, which is that everybody says that this terrible election duopoly that we seem to have chosen, uh, or maybe not, but uh, okay, the two of them, Trump and Biden, uh, you can't blame the system. It's not a broken system. Though that has been generally what people believe. If it's not the system, what's at fault? 
Yeah, you know, my whole life, the story you got from, you know, populists and progressives and other generally high-minded reformers was that the problem with American politics is that the parties were dominated by these party insiders in you know, smoke-filled rooms, as they always put it, uh, doing the bidding of big donors and um, thwarting the will of, of the people. And that's just really not the problem we have now. I'm not sure it ever was the problem. You know, with the rise of um, the digitalization of media and politics, particularly in the age of social media, we're supposed to accomplish really two things. One was on the media side, which was to break the old oligopoly of, you know, a small number of newspapers, the New York Times, Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the AP, and the three big television stations, which essentially set the media conversation for the whole country. And the idea was that with this new kind of media in the electronic age, we would have more diversity, more kind of a democratic media uh, more accountability, more responsiveness. And that's not really what we got. Uh, what we ended up with was because of the structure of these things economically, a media that's really the most responsive to the most polarized, hysterical, angry, emotional elements in its uh, in its readership, which is why, oddly enough, you know, in places like, you know, the New Republic, which used to be a really good, interesting magazine, or the Atlantic, or uh, even to a certain extent, you know, the Washington Post, you get... Um, you actually have a narrower range of what's acceptable publishable opinion now than you did, say, in the 1990s or the 1980s. A similar thing happened in fundraising, where once upon a time, the fundraising really was controlled by the, you know, the party bosses and the party insiders. That's where their power came from, that they could you know, fund your campaign or not fund your campaign. But now we've got the rise of Internet-enabled small-dollar donations. But just like with uh, social media, what that ended up doing was really empowering the most hysterical, angry, emotional kind of politics, because that's what gets people excited enough to make that, you know, six ninety nine donation and sign up for once a month. If you go out and try to tell people about, well, here's the complicated thing we're going to have to do to actually make the entitlement system somewhat fiscally stable for the next 20 years, they go to sleep and uh, they don't get excited. It's not um, it's not something that gets them pumped up. And so it doesn't work either from, uh, you know, commentary side, really in terms of driving that social media traffic or from a fundraising side, if that's how you're trying to run a campaign. So we've ended up with a media that's in some ways more homogenous, certainly less interesting, um, certainly less responsible, lower intellectual standards, and political campaigns that are not dominated financially by people who have any kind of long-term political agenda, whether it's a good one or a bad one, but simply by people who are acting in the role of content consumers. You know, give me some entertainment, I'll give you some money. Give me some more entertainment, I'll give you some money. And that's kind of how we're, we're running things right now. And I think that um, that really, more than anything else, is the model that best explains how out of a country of 341 and a half million people, our two major parties have managed to uh, get ready to nominate Donald Trump, who is a game show host and pornographer who tried to overthrow the government the last time he didn't win an election, and Joe Biden, who is this, you know, senescent, clueless, deeply dishonest guy. I mean, one of the irritating things about this election is um, there's always this um, implicit or explicit comparison between Trump and Biden that, well, you know, Biden may not be the smartest guy in the world. He may be clumsy and uh, and he may, you know, be a little bit confused at times, but he's basically decent, basically honest. He's not, never has been. Uh, the guy is, um, is is dishonest as the day is long. I mean, I know I go on about this particular story a lot, but, you know, Biden spent 40 years lying about the circumstances of the death of his, his first wife and their infant daughter, saying they'd been killed by a drunk driver when they weren't. Uh, but it made right. a good I mean, story. They were killed, they were killed by a, a, a driver who 
uh, drove through a stop sign or a red light or something. But no, he wasn't drunk. She drove through the she drove through the stop sign and um, in front of the truck. So the, the the accident seems to have been her fault. I mean, she was driving while carrying baby in her lap. Uh, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but this is the sort of thing you'd go to jail for if you did it now. Um, you know, the the driver, the truck driver who hit her was in, in no way at fault, was never charged anything, was never um, at the time thought to be in any way at fault. But Biden told this story forever and ever and ever. And not the serious version of it, but Biden also, from 1988 through 2008, would from time to time stand in front of a crowd and talk about how he was a coal miner. And had grown up in a coal mining family, <laughs> and um, this wasn't true. Now you'll know this because no, his his grandfather was a state senator from Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was from a pretty comfortable, pretty comfortable background. Now, the first time Biden got in trouble for claiming to be a coal miner is because he was reading one of Neil Kinnock's speeches. You know, this British right. politician that Biden famously uh, plagiarized in the 1980s. So Kinnick was from a family of coal miners. Um, Biden Biden was not. But then long after he'd stopped plagiarizing Neil Kinnick when he'd been gone for that, he was still saying it in 2008. Uh, okay, so okay. Is, given given it, the fact that down. there that there are a lot of embarrassing details about both President Biden and former President Trump, uh, can you stay with us for another segment, uh, another ten yeah, minutes? Yeah, of course. Good. And uh, let's figure out uh, where Kevin Williamson is going in this election, because if you want to vote to choose the next president of the United States, and then how do we get back to to the smoke filled rooms? And maybe they don't have to yeah. be filled with smoke. Maybe they can be filled with incense. But just uh, getting together a system that actually did pretty well. And it's hard for me to imagine that with some of the things working against them, that either the Democrats would choose Biden if the leading Democrats had a chance to get together, or certainly that the leading uh, Republicans would choose Donald Trump. We're talking with Kevin Williamson about his uh, epically entertaining piece, Election 2024, You Asked For It, America. Uh, we'll be right back. Great show. I listen to you every day. The Michael Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. MichaelMedved.com. I don't want to fight tonight. Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight. Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight. That's the Ramones with a Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight. Which is a, um, a, a music for the season that I must admit I was not familiar with. It's uh, the recommendation of rock star Greg Tomlin, who uh, knows his music and a great deal about everything else as well. One uh, of the somebody else, great American rock and roll bands. <laughs> he, well, you bet. I told you, Greg knows a great deal about everything. Uh, that's Kevin Williamson, who is somebody else who knows a great deal, but he's not a great fan of most of America's prominent politicians. Because if you take a look at prominent names on the Republican side of the ledger and the Democratic side of the ledger, they all take um, a, a few hits from Kevin Williamson in his piece, Election 2024, You Asked For It, America. Um, okay, can you think... Of And it doesn't have to be somebody who's running for president this time. 
But the last time you had a presidential candidate about whom you felt enthusiasm. I try not to feel enthusiasm about politicians if I can avoid it. Um, look, it and you was, can it usually was, avoid it. Was, was was a pretty good governor of Texas, and there was reason to think he'd be a good president. Um, now, he was not a foreign policy and national security guy. He was a guy who wanted to be an education and essentially social program reformer who didn't get to do that because of 9-11. So he is... The presidency he wanted to have for himself was kind of, uh, you know, taken away and he had to do something else that he wasn't really particularly well prepared for. Um, you know, Barack Obama is someone who didn't have my politics, someone who didn't have my policy views. But if you were someone who had his political priorities, he was pretty good at the job. Uh, you know, he was someone who was going to more or less, well, at least in terms of the presidency, he screwed over the rest of his party entirely, of course, and they lost, what, 467 uh, seats across the country in state legislatures and house races and stuff. So he was he was a bit of a mess politically that way, but he was in terms of just what was going on in the White House, kind of what should we want. So um, it, it's not as though the country is incapable of producing people who are who are good at this. The problem is that the moment we're in right now is this very very populous moment where the only way to really get ahead is to be the angriest person in the room and to present everything in life and death, good and evil terms. You know, people talk about the establishment, like this capital E establishment. And let me tell you how, how weak the party establishments are in the United States, if you think about it. In 2016, the Democrats almost nominated Bernie Sanders, who was not and is not a member of their party. And the Republicans <laughs> did nominate Donald Trump, who, if I recall correctly, didn't join the Republican Party until after he denounced his campaign to run for the Republican nomination, and who despised most of the things the Republican Party traditionally stood for. So I actually think I think he, I think he did it was because when he endorsed Romney in 2012, uh, I believe that at that point or shortly thereafter, he he changed over to the Republican Party. But he, sure you're right. Correct, point yeah. is, I think he's gone back and forth a few times. But and he ran the for reform party he was with party, for a while. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I, I hear people talk about the establishment all the time. I remember this one guy going on and on about how he was anti-establishment and uh, you know, the establishment can't stand me. And I said, pardon me for noticing, but you're the chairman of your state Republican Party. If there is an establishment, it's it's you. This wasn't Christian Ziegler, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But that's how people have to talk. They they feel like to uh, to get ahead in politics and to be you know to be players and to be influential, and that is not really a recipe for um, for good government or good healthy politics. Well, it's it's also like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a multi multi millionaire and has degrees from both Yale and Harvard. And uh, he's talking about how he's left behind with the establishment. He's because somebody who's an alternative to the establishment. Always love that, right? Um, in terms of in terms of the people who are running for for president right now, one can. It's easy to construct all kinds of terrible scenarios involving Biden and involving Trump. Uh, who, who is the candidate you're least afraid of? Well, I don't really get in the business of endorsing candidates. And, uh, and that's that why I asked the question me, the way I did. Yeah, let me put it this way. The, the Democrats are are just kind of crazy right now. And the Republicans' problem is craziness plus cowardice. So there are some decent people in the Republican Party still. But there's not really one major figure in the Republican Party, including the ones who are the most you know, critical of Trump, 
um, you know, Nikki Haley and, and Chris Christie, who are running for president, who are really, I think, entirely forthright about what happened in 2021, which was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States by nullifying a legal election and staging a riot to uh, to act as the kind of muscle end of that. And until the Republican Party um, gets right with itself and 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 has a bit of um, contrition about the fact that it is still rallied behind a guy who did attempt to stage a coup. Um, there's just no honorable way to be associated with that party. And so anybody, even a good person who wants to come in and say, I'm going to take this mess and be the head of this mess and try to do something good with it is, um, is I think, you know, on a fool's errand. So there's there's none of those people that I think I can really say anything very positive about, even though some of them as individuals are, are decent enough people and some of them even more than decent enough people. So I, I take it that you don't favor the Trumpian consideration that uh, there there should be hundreds, if not thousands of people who get full pardons for any role they had on January 6th. Man, I'm against pardons in general. Um, you know, I... Uh, I think pardons and commutations and that sort of thing should be used really pretty sparingly. And um, and particularly, um, you know, we're always criminally harsh on the wrong people. Like we're really, really hard on common trick criminals and drug dealers and things like that. When the people that you really want to be hard on are people who are doing crimes that involve the state, that involve the actual public order. And the people who tried to overthrow the government in 2021 are the last people who should be getting any sort of clemency or pardons. Uh, frankly, I'm a little um, a little disappointed that their sentences weren't longer and more numerous and um, and harsher than they were. Uh, and uh, so you you didn't uh, savor the uh, the hit record that uh, President Trump put out together with the J6 choir. Uh, from prison. Yeah, the Republicans still just aren't very good at music when you think about it. You know, like the, uh, I mean, other than, than Joey Ramone was a Republican, right? So that was pretty good. But like, you know, who is the great musician on that side of the fence? Ted Nugent? Uh, you know, <laughs> Cat Scratch Fever is a pretty good song, but that was like 79. You know, it's been a while since, uh, since he's had a, had a big one. Now, the Republicans. Well, you know, uh, whatever, again, I'm, I'm encouraged by the, the Rolling Stones uh, sort of answered back to Roger Waters and they added on their upcoming tour. And, you know, they, they after, they're, they're older than Biden. I mean, they're, they're really up there. But on their upcoming tour, they included, because of what happened on October 7th, a stop. They're doing it tour stop in israel so yeah. maybe maybe that shows I, I don't know the rest of the politics of uh keith or uh, mick or any of them but uh at least well, that one don't like paying taxes which is why they live in connecticut and not in the UK. <laughs> but um, right or at least keith lives in connecticut so there's that but no i don't have um i don't you know there's this thing um people want to say if you criticize biden you criticize trump you're engaged in false equivalency i, I, I don't really buy that you don't have to say that they're equivalent to say that they're both basically unfit for the office. They're both basically bad people. They're both dishonest. They're both kind of embarrassing. And they were both born doing, during the reign of King Leopold III of Belgium you know, in the 1940s. <laughs> and uh, that sounds funny, like to say they were born in the reign of Leopold III, but it's true. It's literally true. They were. And, um, you know, maybe it's time to, to let that generation, um, you know, start playing a little shuffleboard or whatever they're just supposed to be doing, because I don't think they're really sending us their best. And and so uh, have you figured out, uh, are you going to cast a vote? 
No, I won't be voting in this election. All right, there it is. Kevin Williamson, his piece is fascinating, and particularly his analysis of uh, what we've done to replace the so-called uh, political establishment, which may not have been as terrible as many people believe that it was. Uh, we will be right back. Thanks to Kevin Williamson, and Merry Christmas to you. We'll be right back on the Medved Show. thinking about some very unusual or special uh, holiday gift that uh, you can give uh, and it's a two-part gift so you can even keep part of it if you want uh, they uh, over at the Medved history store they are offering a signed hardcover first edition of my most recent book uh, that came out two years ago it's a book called God's Hand on America, Divine Providence in the Modern Era. And I think that uh, one thing I can guarantee you is you will have a more inspiring, benevolent view of uh, America and America's direction, current direction even, uh, than you may have heard from Kevin Williamson. And if you buy the book now, they, uh, uh, they'll get it to you. Uh, right away in time for the holidays and uh, they also are sending over a CD of a uh, very special program we did some years ago called the secret history of the Christmas holiday uh, go to uh, medvedhistorystore.com or you can just go and find the banner at michaelmedved.com uh, meanwhile a hundred and forty eight million dollar verdict against Rudy Giuliani in Georgia um, I mean he has a criminal trial awaiting him because he is an alleged unnamed co-conspirator in the federal indictment against Trump in Georgia and now he's been ordered to pay a sum he surely cannot afford the 148 million dollar verdict in a defamation case which was brought by two Georgia election workers that marks a new low point for the man once lauded as America's mayor whose advocacy of Donald Trump's false election claims has led to criminal charges and hefty legal bills I mean he hasn't been able to pay it's 1.6 million dollars of unpaid legal bills so far he's a uh, very confident about um, actually winning an appeal but the the difficulty with everything here is uh, to make that kind of a uh, verdict 148 million really does reduce your chances of ever seeing that money uh, and again sometimes that's part of what happens in uh, this kind of defamation case where the the costs are just so enormous now Fox News and there you can understand it but that was less than a billion that was 785 million uh, Fox News this is one guy who said awful things and dishonest things and things that the judge at the beginning of this trial 
had acknowledged were untrue, were uh, defamatory, and uh, had no basis for them. This is uh, the way that the Georgia election worker, Ruby Freeman, who was the subject of, uh, of the Rudy Giuliani lies, along with her daughter, Shay Moss. And uh, they both had worked on election work for a, a long time with no history or record of any kind of partisan manipulation or anything wrong with them at all. And uh, she commented, Ruby Freeman, about her faith in God and the troubles that she's endured because of the big lies about her over the past two years. Listen. I am Lady Ruby. Today's a good day. A jury stood witness to what Rudy Giuliani did to me and my daughter and held him accountable. And for that, I'm thankful. Today is not the end of the road. We still have work to do. Rudy Giuliani was not the only one who spread lies about us. And others must be held accountable too. But that is tomorrow's work. For now, I want people to understand this. Money will never solve all of my problems. I can never move back into the house that I called home. I will always have to be careful about where I go and who I choose to share my name with. I miss my home, I miss my neighbors, and I miss my name. I've heard some of you. Don't be sad for me. Don't waste your time being angry at those who did this to me and my daughter. We are more than conquerors. Pray for us as we continue to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, fairly effective. And it's interesting. The, the battle in court, it was Ruby uh, versus Rudy. And uh, <laughs> Rudy had this to say uh, when he was asked about his new plans and his confidence in winning his appeal and more. Clip 17. Basically, they wanted me to rat. You know, that's, that's uh, what's going on. They offered me settlements, and I told them to go to hell. This was a stalking action uh, for Biden, and also to shut up the guy that's uh, most damaged him. Remember, when he came into the campaign, he sent out a letter to the press to keep Giuliani off the media. He succeeded in doing that, eventually, with the hard drive. He defamed me, calling me a Russian pawn, which has proven to be 100% a lie by Biden. And very damaging to me. It cost me, uh, it cost me six, seven million dollars of law practice. So I'm hoping I'll get back from him any money I might need. But in any event, this is going to be thrown right. out. This, this, this award is so absurd. Even the amount of money. If you just look at the amount of money for the damages they're talking about, it's like a jury that, a jury that was just inflamed by one side of the case and prohibited from hearing the other. That only happens in a fascist country. Wake up, America. Biden's America, where he's got control, those democratic cities, is a fascist country. Uh, America's uh, fascist country is that he's talking about, obviously, suing Joe Biden for defaming him uh, <laughs> and uh, claiming that he was a Russian pawn. Uh, 
Look, the entire thing, and uh, the Wall Street Journal had it right. It's it's uh, tragic to see someone like Rudy Giuliani, who was a great mayor of New York. He's one of the best ever uh, mayors of a major U.S. city who made a very, very real difference in the life of the city. And no one can take that away from him, though it's kind of hard to remember that that sort of Rudy who deserved and and received so much support and to see him clearly in uh this uh this situation today uh, greg do we have a film today or do uh uh what's that oh yes we do and uh we will get right to it because it's one of the big films of the season it opened at the top of the box office over the weekend the movie is a third major film based on Raoul Zal's uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, this one, Wonka. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. More than 50 years ago, moviegoers delighted to a magnificent chocolate factory and its eccentric proprietor. But now, Willy Wonka, played by Timothy Chalamet, is back in a lavish musical prequel talking about how he built his business. It's called, of course, Wonka. Willy Wonka's wild and wonderful wishy-washy Wonka Walker. Best chocolate in the world. He's good. Too good. You should stand up to those Buddhists. Where do we start? Making chocolate, of course. And of course, as you'd expect in a story based on the work of the late Raoul Dahl, the characters played by the likes of Hugh Grant and Olivia Coleman are weird and a little bit scary. But the music, including two songs from the old classic, is pleasant and serviceable, if not immortal. And parents who bring their kids to this extravaganza will have a few good laughs. Rated PG, two and a half stars for the lightly likable Wonka. And uh, again, uh, to see Hugh Grant playing an Oompa Loompa, uh, that's kind of worth the price of admission. They do a, quite a job technically uh, reducing <laughs> Hugh Grant's stature. Uh, I'm not talking about stature as an actor. I'm talking about stature as a human being. Uh, coming up next time, we'll be speaking to Gordon Chang uh, because of the launch today of uh, a North Korean, uh, a, a new North Korean facility. Uh, we will get to that and to more. We'll be talking also about people who are seriously worried about the dangers of smartphone usage among children. And then, of course, the latest on the shifting balance in the primary campaigns. That and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.